if you're willing to do what's hard, life becomes easier. If you do what's easy, life becomes harder. What's shaking? This is Rick Jordan. Welcome back to the All In Podcast. I'm pumped today. I've got a real treat for you. Mr. Darren Jacklin, what's shaking? I'm grateful to be here. Man, I'm grateful to have you. I, I'm looking through everything, you know, because we've known each other for a little bit here, and there's so much that we could dive into. And something before we get into the nitty-gritty of things, by the way, that's one of my favorite phrases, nitty-gritty. <laughs> I like it. But there's something I've been wanting to ask you for a little while, because I think I knew this, but I just keep forgetting about it in the back of my mind. You were in a movie a few years ago. It's all Jack. A movie called the uh, Treasure Map movie, a documentary film on personal, professional growth and development and manifestation called the Treasure Map movie. Uh, Dr. John D. Martini, Laura Langmeyer, uh, Raymond Aaron, a number of different people were interviewed uh, on this film. It came out in 2015. It went viral. It was all over the world. It was in different movie theaters throughout the world and showing in high schools, colleges, universities, businesses, company boardrooms, uh, and various different businesses and companies picked it up internationally. And uh, it had a huge, uh, huge success. In fact, people to this day still talk about the Treasure Map movie. That's awesome. I love documentaries. You know that. And they're so powerful now, even in this time period, because it seems like there's a lot of independent filmmakers that can really get their name out there. And that's a good way to do it. But it's just being a part of my third now, which is about to be released. And this one I was executive producer on, but being just a part of two others is really kind of a fun experience. Did you go through the premiere and the red carpet thing and the whole deal? We did actually. We had a couple of different premieres in different cities throughout North America, and it was really, it was, you know, it was a surreal experience when you go into a big movie is, yeah. on a big screen, and you see people from all walks of humanity that have busy lives and schedules, and they bring their friends and their families and date nights, and people come out, and they're sitting there, and you watch yourself in this larger life thing, kind of like being in a sporting arena, but you're in a movie theater, and you really get present to it. For myself, I got present like, wow. Yeah. This is really transforming yeah. the human spirit. It's making a difference in people's lives and really creating a ripple of impact. For sure. And it's really interesting, too. I remember the first time at the premiere that I was at, which was held in L.A. in Hollywood. And I remember for the first, you know, during the, the initial scenes and then in the credits, too, seeing my headshot that's like 30 feet tall. You know, it's yeah. just kind of surreal in that moment. You know, it was almost like when I was in, on the NASDAQ Jumbotron too, you know, seeing yourself in Times Square for the first time and plastered up there. And it's like, wow, I'm just eternally grateful for everything that I've mm-hmm. been able to accomplish and all the opportunities that I've had in life, which I, I love this because when, whenever you and I talk, even when we came on to the show here today, one of your trademark responses to me is always how, when I ask, how are you today? And you always say, I'm great. Absolutely. Uh, That's interesting to me, man. When did that shift for you to where you started saying that and why did you start saying that all the time? You know, when I started exploring and traveling to different countries and continents around the planet and started going into second and third world countries and going into countries where people live on less than $2.50 a day, like going to the African continent, for example, and, you know, our private family foundation right now, Link Foundation is building a school and a sustainable community over there in Uganda, East Africa. And when I started to discover being traveling and realizing that you know just taking our next breath of air when we take our next breath of air somebody takes their last breath of air and that there's no guarantee that we're going to go to bed tomorrow night see people act and live as if it's just a guarantee we're going to go to bed tomorrow night in fact there's no guarantee uh you know we're just speculating and so that really shifted for me but i think traveling internationally 
and I've been all over the world now, 50 countries on four continents, it really shaped me. And I really encourage people to go traveling when they finish high school or college, university, go take a year off or six months off and go do a humanitarian trip or you know, join some church or some organization or some nonprofit organization or just travel with a bunch of friends and go travel and just go to different places on different parts of the world that you never would. And it will really be a great class classroom of education for yourself. Wow, is that what led you really to the mission of helping others and believing in themselves? Is just seeing whatever others did not have? It's interesting because back in the early 1990s, I started voluntarily speaking at Rotary Clubs and I met a gentleman who's passed away now, but he was a Rotarian. And I was young, I was involved in Toastmasters International and Dale Carnegie organization. And I was learning how to public speak and communication skills. And a guy pulled me aside one time in the Rotary Club and he said, you know, and this guy, looked at, I looked at him as a mentor. He was like on a pedestal to me. And I was, you know, building my confidence, my self-worth. So I was in the pit and he was on the pedestal. And, and I said to him one day, I said, you know, sir, I said, you know, if you could give me some guidance being an older man, what what's the secret to life? He looked at me, he said, Darren, the secret to living is giving. The secret to living is giving. Become a go-giver rather than a go-getter. Go out and be in service and contribution and build relationship equity with people give versus get and do not be attached to the outcome and so i took that on in my life realizing the secret to living is giving that's incredible and you hit a something that resonates with me a lot that you said is relationship equity you know and mm-hmm. that's the the biggest most valuable asset you could ever have in my opinion you know are the people that you surround yourself with and the relationships with them because you know money things they are all they're all assets but they really are birthed out of that relationship equity absolutely well if we break it down if we look at all the human beings here on planet earth no matter what city what matter country or culture you live in at the end of the day we're just human beings running around this meat suit but here's the really interesting thing about it all we are is a network of conversations anything that you want like really 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 want in your life is going to come from strangers yeah. strangers are thing you want everything you need, everything you desire in life. But our environments growing up as children for most people was don't talk to strangers. Strangers are unsafe. Got to keep children safe. And then, you know, here in 2020 with this global pandemic called coronavirus, we're taught to social distance and to self-isolate and don't get close to other human beings. Keep at least six feet away. But the key thing is, is that, you know, for a lot of people, we got to realize that all we are is a network of conversations. And I always ask people, where are you not requesting in your life? Because for every every request or every question that we don't ask, the answer is always no. And when we make a request to another human being, people only do one of three things. Number one is they'll accept the request. Two is they'll decline the request. Or three is they'll counteroffer the request. Children are great. Children are request-making <laughs> machines, right? Anybody who's watching right now has got children or grandchildren, you know that children are request-making machines. They're always asking why, 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 right? But as adults, because of image and ego a lot of times, people don't wanna make requests. And so the key thing is I always say is, where are you not requesting in your life, personally, professionally? Like, where are you not making requests through a network of conversations, either on or offline? And number two is, who do you become as a human being? when you're not making requests. People are contracting, they're living a small life. They're coming from lack and scarcity versus abundance and prosperity. They don't get a chance to contribute and be in generosity and love and contribution towards other people's lives because they're not powerfully making requests. And when it comes to requests, you can just make a normal request. You can make an outrageous request, an unreasonable request, a powerful request. And so no matter what's going on in your life, start making requests. 
because for every question you don't ask, the answer is always no. And so when you go to a place, make a request for a, a company dessert or a company upgrade in a hotel or 10% off, or if you're struggling financially in your business and you've got to renegotiate with your contractors, suppliers and vendors, go back and renegotiate. I, I do this with my credit cards every year. Um, you know, I pay them off all the time and I'm in great standing, but every year because I, I, I put thousands of thousands of dollars every year through my credit cards, I always want the best rates with my credit card company. So I go back every year, show my 12 months of my report card, show my report to them, and I renegotiate every year. And this is what you get good at in terms of building wealth and success, is always look at, start making requests. And really look at, who do you become as a human being when you're not making requests? Because you'd be amazed at the opportunities and the doors will open when you just start making requests of other human beings. That's incredible. You mentioned kids too become masters of requests, you know, when they're young. I think also children, at least mine anyways, they became the master of the counter offer really, really yeah. early in life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a, you know, well, no, you know, dad, can I do this for 30 minutes? You know, like, no, how about 10? You know what? I think, what if I did this first and then could I have 15 minutes? You know, I, I remember this vividly. You know, it started maybe when they were two or three years old. Like, you guys are freaking intelligent. You know, and I'm looking back yeah. at, and but there's somewhere along the line too, because you're saying making requests, because I see my kids, you know, and this is just my own experience. They're extremely bold in their request yes. making, you know, and then some point in time between childhood and becoming an adult, it's almost like that ability or there just becomes refrain in that ability and it just goes away. The making request <laughs> just seems to go away. Why is that, man? What, what's the psychology behind that? Well, as we grow, see children are fearless, right? And as we grow up, we form an identity. We want to look good and we also don't want to look bad. Right? People don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to look good. You want to look like you're all together. We shape and we develop our identity and our values and our beliefs, but also creates our image and our ego. And when children are young, they don't have that image or ego or that reputation of wanting to look good or wanting to look bad. They're just fully alive and fully self-expressed. And so as, as adults, we don't fully live from self-expression because you know if you walk down the streets in major cities and you just like they're like how are you today i'm happy they think you're on drugs or you're smoking marijuana or you're on some kind of pharmaceutical medication it's like why can this person be happy with all this stuff's going on in the world well it's it's a mindset it's a choice i every day i write down you know in my journal i'm, I'm i journal right every day i read you know, I have my personal promises to myself. I have, you know, my habits, my core values, you know, I list every day. I have, a, you know, 120 affirmation cards I do every day wow. that I read my affirmations. And I am obsessed, I'm self-disciplined, I'm focused, I'm reliable, and they're non-negotiables. So what I always share with people, if you wanna become successful, personally, professionally, study people's daily routines and daily habits. Because success leads schools. I, whenever I'm around influential men and women from all walks of humanity, I always ask them questions. What are their daily habits and what are their daily routines? Because what do they do during the waking hours of the day? Like yourself, with what you do in business, you have daily habits and daily routines oh, yeah. that you do. Yep. And those daily habits and daily routines compounded over a period of time shape who you are as a human being, your values, your beliefs, your behaviors, your environments, your, your social influence that you have, it all comes down to your habits and your routines. 
That's incredible, man. That's uh, This is anything that anybody can walk away with today. Because I think that with the pandemic this year that we've had, too, a lot of those daily routines were immediately disrupted, you know, j- just almost overnight. Because now we've, we're having to function in a different type of environment at home. And one thing for me, you know, th- there was the quarantine 15 that everyone talks about. You know, there's a lot sure. of people that put on 15 pounds, maybe more, just because of everything around them changed. For me, it was like I doubled, I didn't just double down in business, I doubled down even in my routines and said, I'm just sticking through this. Instead of working out four days a week, like what I was doing before, I bought a rower. I'm like, I'm going to fill in the remaining three days <laughs> during this time. And, it's, and I love it. You know, before I didn't think, I'm like, you know what, maybe I should give myself a break every other day, whatever that is. But then I'm like, you know, I've never done this before. If everybody else is going to stop, the gyms are closed. I always worked out at home anyways. But if the mm-hmm. gyms are closed and nobody's there and I'm thinking everybody else in the world right now is really like pulling back, if they're pulling back, that means I need to push even beyond, even more beyond. beyond. And that's that's something that I feel that you embody so much, man, and you push me to that too. I love it when we converse. That's the only way to live, on the edge. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, because we're either expanding or we're contracting in life. And the key thing is most people just settle. They want to become comfortable, right? You know, I always share with people that success is not something you go out in the world to pursue. Success is something you attract into your life by the person that you become. So are you becoming an attractive person? Because a lot of people go out there and get degrees and get diplomas and want to climb up the corporate ladder and get different positions and different titles. But the thing is, that's not success. Success is not something you go out in the world to pursue. Success is something you attract into your life by the person that you become. So I always share with people, you know, when when a leader shows up on a Zoom video conferencing call, what do the participants do? When a leader walks into a room at a Rotary Club or a Chamber of Commerce or a woman in business or a trade show or a conference or seminar, what happens to the participants in that room when a leader shows up? When a leader walks into an office place, what happens? Well, the people turn their heads. The leader's in the room. That man or woman's in the room. So the question is, how do you show up? Every day that you wake up and you show up virtually onto a Zoom video conferencing call or you're on social media or you're out there in public, how do you show up? Because behavior never lies. And so I spend every day, I, I have in my calendar, I invest two hours every day. I time block it, it's non negotiable. It's non-negotiable that I spend every day in terms of you know my self-care time, my thinking time, my well-being time, where I'm constantly training, developing myself every day. People say you spend two hours a day. Yeah, I didn't start with two hours a day. I started with getting five minutes on my busy calendar. Then five minutes became ten minutes, twenty minutes, thirty minutes, and over a period of time, it's now two hours. Wow. So start with. Five minutes and get consistent for 30 days just with five minutes and then keep gradually increasing over a period of time. It may take you two years to get to, to two hours. Same thing myself, when I was really struggling financially and I was building my companies and businesses, I didn't have money to take a vacation because everything I had was, I was pouring into coaches and mentors and trained development and marketing and sales and, and learning my skills. So what I did is I took many vacations and on Sundays I would go someplace for 15 minutes or sometimes while I was flat broke financially, I closed my eyes and I would visualize or virtualize my mindset and do dream building where I'd imagine myself I'd be on some vacation or someplace. Now I go to YouTube <laughs> and I do it and I would visualize you know, going to different cities or restaurants or traveling to different places and, and I would imagine my mindset as if I was already there acting as if and I took a little mini vacation and I had no money. And so I, <laughs> but I still acted as if it was reality, it was really happening. 
And so I created those, you know, those dorphins, I created that, that dopamine, oh, yeah. fix in my yep. body, those chemicals in my body to actually act as if it was really happening in my body that I was really there on that vacation when I was flat broke financially. So when we're struggling and we're going through the peaks and valleys in life, realize that, hey, if you can't do that right now, then close your eyes, put on some great music, light some candles, create an environment around you and imagine that you're already there. Act as if it's already happening. Visualization is so important, man. And I've seen this too, even in my own life. And it's not something that I've been disciplined in practicing, but I know it's interesting to me because it's something I've noticed about myself that if I can't see it in my head, if I can't see myself doing it, I know it's not something that I'm supposed to be doing. And even, you know, if it's speaking or whatever it is, you know, or if I see myself ringing the bell at NASDAQ, you know, which I do, I can see that in my head that I, I know that that's going to happen. I absolutely know that it is. But if there's a thought mm-hmm. that I have an idea and then I just sit down for a second and close my eyes and I can't actually f- feel myself in that moment, then I know that's not something for me to pursue. You know, it's yeah. it's an interesting concept and I would encourage anybody to do it. Is just sit down when you have this new amazing disruptive idea, sit yourself down, close your eyes for 2 minutes and just see if you can feel yourself. It's not even just like seeing yourself, but it's feeling yourself in that moment. And if it's not, then it could be something that you might need to force. And yeah. when you have to force something, that's not anything I go after anymore. Working hard for something and forcing something to me are two completely different things. And if I can see it, I'll work my butt off to make sure that it happens. If I can feel myself in it, I'll work my butt off to make sure that it happens. But I will never cross that threshold anymore. I learned this lesson years ago, man. I will never cross that threshold anymore if I can't see it, if I can't feel myself in it, then I know I'm going to have to force it to make it well, happen. And I'll, and I'll show you something. I'm just in my home office yeah. here, and I'm gonna show, show you something here that most people have never seen. People, I, I meet a lot of people all over the world. This is my must meet list. Oh, Every I year it. I create one of these. these are, <laughs> so people have a most wanted list or a missing persons list. These are 100 people from around the world from all different walks of humanity. And when I meet them, I put a star beside. This is the founder of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, right? So <laughs> nice. every year I, I create my must-meet list. These are 100 people from all walks of humanity, from Nobel Peace Prize winners to celebrities to movie stars to philanthropists to humanitarians to billionaires to celebrities, real family members, all that stuff. They're all here. And so people always ask, they go, oh my gosh, you're meeting all these people, you go to these dinner parties, charity events, fundraising events, because here's the interesting thing. Back in 1967, Stanley Milgram did a wonderful case study called the Law of Six Degrees of Separation. And what Stanley Milgram discovers is that we're only six degrees away from anybody on the planet. Yeah. Well, that was done in, back in 1967. Now, because of technology and the internet, we're now less than three degrees from anybody on planet Earth. It's not what you know, it's who you know, it's who they know that knows you. So when people come to my house and they see my must meet list or I take a picture and put it on social media, they're like, oh my gosh, that guy cuts, I, I know that guy, I, I cut his hair, I'm his chiropractor, I'm his masseuse or you know, I look after their kids or they live in my neighborhood. You see, the world is a small place with you know, seven or eight billion people we got on the planet. And so all those people, because the more successful somebody is, the more accessible somebody is be like, well, what do you mean? Because they have an inner circle of people around them. They have personal assistants. They have maybe a chief of staff. They have very different people that are in their span wow. of control. They're in their inner circle. So a lot of times the people say like, oh my gosh, if I could just get to, like I was just, just before we did this interview, I was on the phone, I was just on Zoom with a celebrity, very well-known celebrity, I won't mention his name, but very well-known across North America. If I mention his name, most people would know who he is. And I was just on there. I was asking what he's doing today. He was like, you know, not too much. He's playing with my kids. 
But well, but if you saw him in the media, you'd think, oh my gosh, this guy, he's running around like yeah, a chicken. Yeah. He's cut off. Yep. But you see, he values his family time with his children. That's what he values. That's high on his value list. So he delegates other things to other people to run the daily operations of his business empire, his media empire, of what he does so he can spend time with his children and his love of his life, which is his wife. That's awesome. I love that. Those are the things you never see in the media either. And I think it needs to be accentuated it. a little more too. Because that's even what my branding team has told me. They're like, you know what? Do more stories. Show your kids in your stories yeah. because we know you spend a lot of time with them. We know you value them. That's what, what you have to do. That way people know that you are accessible, that you are relatable. And that's what really matters because people buy from people, right? Yeah. Well, you know, an interesting thing is too is fear does not live in action. Yeah. You see, when we're in action, fear is an anticipation of pain. I always ask people, what is fear? If you and I, Rick, if we walked into an elementary school and we walked into an elementary school and we're in the school gymnasium with all these children for show and tell, and we're doing a talk to the children on fear, the kids are going to raise their hand and say, what is fear? Now, how do you explain to elementary school kids what fear is? Well, fear is an anticipation of pain. So is it past, present, or future? Oh, wow. What lives in the future? So where does it live in the future? Our thoughts create our feelings, our feelings create our actions, and our actions create results. So you know, back in the early days when I was building my group of companies, I used to do a lot of cold calling, a lot of door knocking, and I would go to industrial parks and business centers and all that stuff throughout North America. I was terrified of rejection. So I knew that the more I went and knocked on doors and did sales calls, the more it built my confidence. So I used to listen to, back when we had audio cassette tapes, I used to listen to ACDC, a song called Thunderstruck. Right on. And I would play Thunderstruck <laughs> in my stereo in my car, right, my Pontiac Sunbird car, and I used to crank up the stereo and listen to Thunder by ACDC and get myself into a high-performance peak state so I'd go in and get rejected and then come out and do it all over again. Yep, yep. Same thing when I used to make 400 cold calls a day. You know, over a five-year period, I made over 100,000 and cold calls, sometimes two, three, four months behind in my phone bills because they were outrageously costly back then before we have all these competition and phone plans. But I stayed in the game and that 100,000 cold calls over a five-year period ended up building a lot of success around the world. But I had to put it, see, if you're willing, if you're willing to do what's hard, life becomes easier. If you do what's easy, life becomes harder. And most people don't realize that, that if you're willing to pay the price, when it comes to success, you've got to pay full price. You've got to pay for an advance. There's no shortcuts. You can't delegate push-ups. <laughs> There's nope. going to be things in a business yep. as an entrepreneur or self-employed person that you've got to put in the time, the effort, and the energy. And, you know, like the 10,000 hours before things start to happen. Right? And people don't realize that. They, they watch on the internet today and social media, these people that are the millennials or the young generation of 30 that are on the Instagram successes, and they're like, oh my gosh, this guy's 20 years old, he's doing all this stuff. And then people are like, well, I can't, I don't know how to do all that stuff. Yeah. Well, consider some of this is not authentic. It's not an integrity, it's marketing. And you're not really seeing the hard work and the effort. Like people don't realize what I do behind the scenes. Sometimes it's 12, 14 hours a day, five, six, seven days a week. It's early morning and it's late nights. But at the same time, I also love what I do. And I live life on my own terms, right? And so that's a key thing is that you're going to have to go through sometimes the adversities, the failures, the challenges, the struggles. Because here's the thing to understand. Successful people have fear. Successful people have doubt. Because we have worry, they have discomfort. The only difference is they act in spite of fear. They act in spite of discomfort. They act in spite. They don't let their body sensations or their emotions run what they're doing. And this is a big thing that I learned years ago in my life. Are you committed to your commitments? 
I always ask people with New Year's goals, New Year's resolutions in February, March, first quarter of each year. Are you committed to your commitments? Because time will either promote you or time will expose you. It's just a matter of time. So you want to go to the gym, you want to release 10 pounds? Great, let's talk to you on February 15th and see where you're at with your target or your goal. Are you committed to your <laughs> That's commitment? That's great, right on. <laughs> I hate New Year's resolutions myself, man, because I feel like it's just a, well, you know, it's like 98%, I don't know if it's that much, but well, it's do like- you know why they don't work? I can tell you why they don't work. Go for it, I've got my I'll theories right too, yeah. So my background being for corporate training for yeah. many, many years, I would go into lots of different corporations. It's a three-step process. Step number one is most people, when they have a goal or dream or a target, it's not specific, it's not measurable, and it's not actionable. So right off the bat, as soon as they have a goal, it's it's conceptual, it's it's out there in yeah. fantasy, yep. it's not specific, measurable, and actionable. Step number one. So any goal you have to have is a specific, measurable, actionable goal. Step number two is it has to be linked to, so let, let, we'll use weight, for example, we'll use exercise, okay? So you said you like to work out how many days? Three, four days a week? Yeah, now it's six to seven. Okay, yep. so if I, if, if we don't have to do this, but if just, you know, if, if we were, if, we, if it was a demonstration, I'd say, okay, great. If, so if I was mentoring your coach, I'd say, okay, great, Rick, you work out six days a week? Good, verify it. So you would pull up your online calendar and I yep. would see where does it live? Because here's a big challenge that lots of people make as a mistake. If it's not in your calendar, it does not exist in your life. If hmm. it is not in your calendar, it does not exist in your life. I was talking to a gentleman the other day. He's like, man, I'm having some challenges in my relationship right now. My wife thinks we never go on any date nights. I said, great. Let me see your calendar. So what? I said, you, in the last six months, you don't have one date night scheduled in your calendar. No wonder your wife's complaining you don't have date nights. Unless you schedule it into your calendar, it does not exist in your life. So if you want to take vacations, um, I have a lot of business people that I know and they're like, man, I need to make more money. Great, do you schedule revenue generating activities or income producing activities in your calendar? Do you actually time block between this time and this time that you're actually doing income producing or revenue generating activities as an entrepreneur? And then you're shutting no? your phone off during that time, your, your email goes on do not disturb, everything else. Yes, it's the, it's yeah. time blocked for that, right on. I, I build a lot of passive income, I, I build a lot of passive income in what I do, but I, ask, I actually schedule into my calendar passive income planning time. Yeah. Yeah. Passive income planning. I actually have it at my counter. So so that's number two. So number one is specific, measurable, actionable goals. Number two is, does it exist in your calendar? And number three is, do you have accountability? So if you're going to the gym five or six days a week, it's specific, it's measurable, it's actionable. It lives in your calendar. And number three is, at the end of each workout, do you text an accountability partner or a personal trainer or somebody, unless you're really focused on self-discipline, to show that you've done it? Or do you put it on social media and say, hey, I was at the gym today, right? Yeah, and those yeah. three steps. So people, if they don't have those three steps, the chances of long-term sustainability and follow through and consistently diminish over a period of time. That's interesting, man. I, I am very, very good at self-discipline. I mean, you can go home and look at my rower right now and look at my activities for the week. But that's most people, though. And I, I see this a lot on social media is posting, oh, you know, like on a Peloton or something like that. It's mm -hmm. like, here's my stats for today for my work. That's awesome. I would encourage anybody to do that. Even if you're just getting started, That who cares? Because that's the accountability piece. And you're throwing it out yes. there to the world that's saying, I'm accountable. I, I mm -hmm. started this journey. I have measurable and actionable goals out of this, but I'm 
going to be accountable to the world right now and post this every single day or three days a week, whatever your commitment is. And that way everybody can verify because you know you're going to have people. And, and yeah. I, I remember this because when I started dropping weight a few years ago, there were people that, you know, it was 80 pounds, man. That's not a small amount that I dropped. That's a lot. And when I started going down that route, you know, it was maybe two weeks in, there's people that came around and said, yeah, we'll see if it stays off or we'll see if you keep up with this, you know, and there's going to be the naysayers. And for me, that fuels me. That pushes me even further. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And then it's, it's like the middle finger comes out and like, just watch me. I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm just going to keep pressing forward even harder now, but that's me. Right. But then in that moment, because you need to be able to look back for yourself. And I've noticed this to, to take the photos, the selfies in the gym, whatever it is, the, the results from my rower or a Peloton and go back and look at your social media history and say, yeah, I was so consistent. And then look at this, you know, I was on it for six weeks and then I fell off for a week. Why did I fall off? Mm. What happened during that week? Because then you can go back and adjust because yes. people will fail. You know, I've failed, Absolutely. you know, even though I, I adjusted and pushed forward through the, the summer months or even in the early spring months, like I was saying, I increased my workouts instead mm-hmm. of three to four days a week. Then it became six to seven days a week because I added in off day cardio and a rower. But then I started traveling again. I started filming and guess what? All the gyms were closed. Yeah. And all the restaurants were weird because I couldn't even with how much I was traveling, I couldn't even get a decent healthy meal because I eat pretty well all the time too. Mm-hmm. having to lower myself to burgers all the time, which are good burgers, really good, but not all the time. <laughs> yeah. But then I, I look back and I'm looking at even posts on social media and seeing photos, you know, trying to document this experience that I went through traveling during the pandemic and filming all these different things. And I look back, it's like, well, no wonder why I put on five pounds, you know, and I feel a little bit more sluggish because I can look back. It's like, now it's a weird different time. Could I have made different adjustments? Probably. Because even when I started and I started traveling, man, I, I, like years ago when I started working out, I didn't miss a day because mm-hmm. I would even just stay in my hotel room if I needed to and bought mm-hmm. one liter bottles of water to use as some kind of weight or something like that and just use body weight resistance. There's always ways to get it done. And just because my mind got off of it because my schedule, like you're talking about, the calendar thing, because my schedule was interrupted, that's why I failed. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I got back onto it, of course, after about six weeks of being off rhythm, but looking back, it's like, this is why I messed up. There's always yeah. evidence one way or the other, right? Whether it's photos of, of you on a, in a gym or whatever it is or whatever it is you're doing business-wise, there's always evidence or date nights with your spouse. There's mm-hmm. always evidence one way or the other. Whether the evidence are there, whether it's even lack of evidence, you can always look back and think, wow, that's yeah. really what happened. Man, I appreciate that. There's a... You're talking about a lot of amazing motivational things, and I've got something here because you talked about Toastmasters a little bit back, (laughs) and everyone needs somebody to believe in them because you were talking about entrepreneurs too, about you know every entrepreneur experiences fear, doubt, self-worth problems. But having somebody around you that really believes in you to help push you forward helps a lot. You had an experience with that in Toastmasters, right? Yeah, so for sure, yeah. So I, I joined Toastmasters and Dale Carnegie, because I was, when I, so a little quick story about my backstory, I failed grade one at public school, 
and I was misdiagnosed with a learning disability and a reading disability. I was put into special education classes from grade one to grade 12 of public school. So I never went to regular school, regular public school. And so when I was seven years of age, I created my first little company called Rent-A-Kid. I would go out and cut grass, shovel snow in the wintertime and deliver newspapers six days a week. By the time I was nine years of age, I hired my best friends in my neighborhood. And I'm still good friends with those friends still to this day. In fact, I just talked to one of them yesterday. And uh, you know, many years later, and so when I graduated from high school, I really struggled with my identity, my self-worth, uh, direction and focus and purpose as a young man. And so when I left high school, I did multiple suicide attempts to end my life. I just mm. felt I didn't matter. I felt invisible. I felt that I was just, uh, you know, let's say a liability to society. I wasn't a contributing factor. I didn't like myself. I had a lot of negative self-talk. So I just figured if I just committed suicide, I'd do myself and do society a favor. So my final attempt by driving my car at 140 kilometers an hour or 85 miles an hour towards telephones. I used to premeditate and visualize my mind. Oh, wow. I, and my final yeah. attempt driving my car, I stopped the car and like had a divine intervention. I said, I gotta, I gotta go get some professional help. So I drove into this nonprofit organization that was a um, crisis line. It was a nonprofit organization. I turned myself in to this physical bricks and mortar location. And this lady there was a counselor. She ended up counseling me. I had no money, so she ended up doing it for free. Uh, I think she, they were sponsored by the, the uh, nonprofit society to, to look after it. And then she introduced me to Dale Carnegie and Toastmasters. And I got into Toastmasters. And one day I'm in Toastmasters in this club. This lady by the name is Sue Urquhart. Um, I did what they call an icebreaker. And you have to stand up and you have to speak three to five minutes. And I was terrified. In fact, I pulled the fire alarm in the hotel before I got to speak. And then I found it was just an internal fire alarm that only internally rang within the hotel. The fire department actually didn't come. But I was so scared. I looked, I did a whole cost analysis thing in my mind. Thought, okay, if I pull the fire alarm, I'm not going to get a criminal record. I'll probably just get fined for the fire truck coming. Okay, I'll, I'll just deal with that. But I just don't want to speak in front of these people. I'm so freaking scared. Yeah. And so I pulled the fire alarm. But I still had to speak at the Toastmasters group. And this lady identified me and recognized me. She thought, oh my gosh, this guy has such huge potential. It was a blind spot to me. And that one day, she said, I believe that we could coach and mentor Darren Jacklin in this Toastmasters club to become a world-class professional speaker. And that was in January of 1995. And in June of 1995, I set up a corporate training business out of a one-room bedroom apartment. And between 1995 and the year 2015, I traveled the world and trained over 1 million people in 50 countries on four continents, including 157 of the Fortune 500 companies. That woman, woman, Sue Urquhart, her ripple of impact, her words, because our words create our world. People don't realize that. They don't realize that our words create our world. What she spoke out of that mouth, her mouth, had such a profound impact in my life that, that she indirectly reached over a million people around the planet over a 25 year period. Wow. And so I'm always mindful of what we said of our mouth because our words create our world and our words have a ripple of impact in people's lives. And she believed in me more than I believed in myself. Um, I, I didn't have no direction, no focus. I was just struggling, just trying to get by in my life, paycheck to paycheck, struggling up and down like an emotional roller coaster with no direction, no focus, no purpose, no guidance, nothing. And she became a mentor. And so I learned that when the student is ready, the teachers appear and she appeared at the right time in my life. And, and I'm very blessed with gratitude that she came to my life because who knows if I'd still be alive to this day or where my life would have went 
as a result of that because I, man, I, I, I'm so grateful for her. And I actually reached out to her just a couple of years ago to thank her. She's retired now. Her and her husband are retired from business and they're up there in age. And I said, Sue, I just want to acknowledge you and thank you. I don't know if you remember me or not. She said, of course I remember you, Darren. I said, what you said to me in January of 1995 has had such a ripple of impact. And so it's always important for us to retrace our steps. Maybe there are some school teachers or somebody involved in sports or in your community where you live that's had an impact in your life. Reach out, pick up the phone and call that person. I just, in the last couple of weeks, I just sent emails to some of the teachers that, that mentored me and taught me in school and reaching out and just thanking them and acknowledging them for the gift they gave to me in terms of building that relationship, equity and believing in me when I didn't believe in myself. You know, I'll give you a quick example. I, I would attend a lot of workshops and seminars and I was, uh, a number of years ago, I was here in Vancouver, Canada. I went to this hotel and there was this live big event, well, probably five, 600 people in the room, paid, paid attendance, so people were paying to come to this event, all these business people. And there was this guy on stage on this panel and I was like, wow, this guy is incredible, the content this guy's sharing. So I'm taking notes, writing things down. Well, I, I go and I took action on what I learned from this guy and I made about $30,000 over the next few months in business. Right? Business. And I thought, wow. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to send this guy 10% of what I earn. I'm going to send this guy a check for $3,000. So I go online, find out his address, mail off this check. A few weeks later, I get a phone call from the finance department of this guy's company because this guy was a big CEO here in North America. And the finance department calls me and they're like, you know, is Darren Jacqueline? I go, yeah, speaking. This is Darren Jacqueline. They go, this is so and so calling from this company. And we're, we're just trying to figure something out here because we have no invoice. And we don't have this person in the we don't have you in the database here, but you sent us a check in the mail a couple weeks ago for three thousand dollars, and we're looking at cash it, but we don't know how to, you know, do you know how to how to how to do the data entry on this, and we don't know. And so I said, you know what? A while back, I was in this seminar. This guy was on stage on this panel. I was so moved by what he shared out of his contribution and generosity. I took notes. I applied it. I wanted to send a check for three thousand dollars. And she's like, oh, okay. So we've never done business for us? I said, no, we've never done business. I don't even know who you guys are. You don't know wow. who I am. And they're blowing. Long story short, she says, you've got to meet the founder and CEO of this company. He's going to be just so inspired by this conversation that we're having right now. So anyway, she relayed the information to him. A couple weeks later, we got a call set up on the calendar, had a telephone call. I explained to him who I am, my background, what I did. He said, man, if you can do that, what you did, would you be willing to come in? to do a corporate training. So they ended up hiring me for $25,000, came in and did some corporate training for their company, paid for all my trucks. So it was interesting that I, I was a go-giver up front. I saw this guy made a difference in a contribution in my life. I thought, you know what? I believe in abundance and prosperity versus lack and scarcity. I want to send them. So what I'm sharing this is if you read a book, if you take a program, you take a course, you might go read a book and you buy a book for $20 or $25. And you're like, man, I learned so much from this book. Like a book that changed my life was a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And I said, the next time I meet Robert Kiyosaki person, I'm going to go up and thank him. I want to take him for dinner. I want to do something to contribute to his life because he had a profound impact on my life over the last couple of decades of me reading that book and studying his material. So think about in your mindset, who are those people that have been a service and contribution and contribute to your life? And is there a way that you could pay it forward and pass it on and contribute back to them through the law of reciprocity? And uh, it's, it's powerful when you start thinking about being that go-giver versus that go-getter and never forget where you come from and empower the other people who've helped you get to where you are because you don't do it by yourself. 
It takes a team of people. It could be your spouse, could be your partner, could be your parents, could be a neighbor, could be a loved one, could be an ex-partner in your life. But some people have helped you and believe in you when you didn't believe in yourself. So I just believe in just contributing to those people and making a difference. And I tell you, it's been an incredible abundance of blessings in my life because of that. That's amazing. You, you, that's something I'm going to be doing now because I, as you were going through your story, I started thinking, uh, building a roster in my head of everybody mm-hmm. through the past 20, 30 years in my life that has believed in me and yeah. has made a profound impact in my life. I mean, I'm thinking back to some teachers, you know, sure. uh, I mean, most of my educators just didn't understand me, which is fine. <laughs> but just like you, I'm sure, you know, d- different yeah. type of mindset. We don't fit into the mold. And I get, I get that. But then there were some that actually recognized us. Like Sue was the one for you in Toastmasters. And then I had other people in me that recognized us for who we are, not so much in that moment, but really our potential and who we really were and who we were going to be 20, 30, 50 years down the road. And they could see that. They could visualize that and recognize that they could play a part in that too. And that's their fulfillment. I can't imagine that, Mm -hmm. man, just getting the call. I've received those calls and those messages myself. You know, it's like, Rick, you said this to me five years ago. This is what's happened since then. I just wanted to reach back out to you and say thank you because you changed my life by just talking to me for 90 seconds at this event, you know, just yeah. one-on-one. And it's, it's just mind-blowing. And you get these things on social media, you know, the, the other day. It's like your podcast is changing my life. You know, and it's the, that's what keeps me going, man. <laughs> it, yeah. it is. And that's, that's what this whole life is all about. And going into 2021, because you've talked a lot about mentors, and I want to end with this because coaches and mentors along my life and same along yours, as you've said, are really the reasons we are where we are today, mm-hmm. where we are today. Going into next year, because if you don't have one, and I know people that are like this too, you know, even family members that want to level up their life, but they won't invest in a coach. They won't obtain a mentor to help them, somebody to believe in them. They're still trying to figure it out on their own. You know, what do you believe people should look for? Like maybe the top one or two things sure. that people should look for in a mentor or an advisor or a coach. So look for, first of all, look for somebody who's already living your lifestyle, personally and professionally. So if somebody directly or indirectly, whether they're on social media or they live geographically where you live, look at where you want to go in the next two years of your life or five years of your life and look at the people and then start shaking hands virtually or in person with the men and women who are already living your ideal lifestyle, right? Whatever you want to accomplish in your life personally, there are other people out there right now that are already living that, living your lifestyle. Right. However, you define life on your terms, personally, professionally. So, first thing is get around because environment is stronger than willpower. Your environment is stronger than your willpower, and also proximity is power. Right. So, when you get around other people who are living your lifestyle, it builds the belief system up your in your mindset that it's possible. Right. So, you might be in a business or a company right now where you want to be, you know, an executive or CEO or a top salesperson, or you want to dominate your industry that you're in. Like you might be a real estate agent and you're like, hey, I want to be number one in my state or my province or my company. Great. Then start getting around people who are playing at that level. It's like I remember over the years going to workshops and seminars and conferences, and you have these people in the first, you know, three, four, five rows are VIP, and they're high performance people. And then people are sitting in the back, I'm thinking, man, I want to go talk to those people at the break. Even if I can't afford to get in the VIP section, at least when they're coming down the aisle, I want to get a chance. And I was scared, but I want to meet those people. And so one of the key things is get around people, realize that you're going to be out of your comfort zone. It's going to be scary when you first meet people because we put people on a pedestal and we minimize ourselves and put ourselves in the pit. But realize at the end of the day, they're human beings just like you and I. And so one of the things that I always do is I, I, I never pitch or sell people 
I educate and I inform people. I find a way. So like when I meet certain people that are influential people, people always ask you, what's your agenda? My agenda is to get another meeting. I just met a guy last week, high level guy. And they're like, so what's, what's the meeting agenda? My meeting agenda is to build rapport with him for him to start to get to know me and like me and trust me, build some relationship equity. So I get a chance to get on his calendar again and keep meeting over and over again. So some people say, well, I want to meet Oprah Winfrey. I want to meet this person. Great. Can you meet them again? That's the key thing because you're either memorable or you're forgettable. Yeah. Right. We either yep. attract people to us or repel people you away from it. us. Right so on. These are the things to consider looking at. It really is because uh, what what is uh, it's almost like a one night stand, right? It means nothing for the most yes. part if you just meet that person it's for one time. Transactional versus relational, for sure. And uh, we're looking at long lasting things, you know. And even well, I mean, you're you're the you're a board of director for a small little company called EXP, you know, which uh, many don't know that. But if you don't know Darren, you need to follow him, DarrenJacklin.com, D A R R E N J A C K L I N.com, because it's amazing the story there for what two million in 2014 to just under a billion dollars in revenue. Revenue in just six years. That's incredible. Yeah. And that do, that didn't happen just by thinking up smart ideas. That came from relationships with people and getting on people's calendars the second time, <laughs> not just yeah. the first time. That's incredible because, I, I mean, you can position yourself and you can be those, those Instagram gurus or whatever and have all these pictures with celebrities, but do you actually have a relationship with that person? Yes. Who cares if you're okay. around them one time? Yeah, that, that's it. So when I see a lot of these photos, you know, it's like, hey, look who I hung out with this week. I'm like, well, I can pick up my phone. Phone and I could text my friends who are powerful, half a billion dollar net worth pr- persons because I have their cell phone number. I have their, yeah. per- and we actually communicate. And it's not just the fact that they're pouring into me when I need them to. It's also that I can give to them too. It's a mutual exchange of value. That's mm-hmm. the second time secret, isn't it? The second, I like that. Shoot, yeah. I just, well, I know, just coined even, that. Even, Write that down, yeah. team. The second time secret. That's yeah. interesting. <laughs> well, even sending like I send thank you cards a lot of times. Over the years, yeah. I've sent thousands and thousands of thank you cards in the mail, handwritten thank you cards, calling people on their wedding anniversaries, their birth dates, getting to know their their children's names, their wife or spouse or partner's names, significant events in people's lives, with their you know the five love languages, their personality style. You know, the more like when I go to meet somebody. I really get a chance to do a deep dive in as much information, I'll source it to find out about that person so I can build an intimate relationship so I'm memorable versus forgettable, right? So that when you meet somebody, it's not transactional, it's relational. Yeah. And you build that relationship equity with people. And you know, never assume we're not being observed, right? I always watch when I go to public places like restaurants or different places I'm out with people, I watch how they treat the waitress staff or the hospitality staff at a hotel or a restaurant because that tells me a lot about how they treat people, right? And so I always watch how do they treat this server or staff or waitress or concierge in a hotel? How do they treat that person? Right? Do they, they walk right past that person like the person's a nobody? Because it's a big indicator with people. Uh, you know, I've been in a lot of Ubers and limos and taxi cabs over the years. And I always ask people in the Ubers and limos, who's somebody influential you ever picked up? You ever picked up a professional athlete or a hockey player or a celebrity or movie star or CEO? And, and I'm like, what was that person like? You know, uh, was always on their phone, burying their phone, wouldn't even say hello or goodbye or please or thank you to me or nothing, all that kind of stuff. Interesting. Now, I understand people have off days and bad days and people are dealing with things in their lives. But behavior never lies. 
Yeah, and you got so it. you can really get a chance to learn about behavior. Same thing with women's intuition. I have a lot of people who work with me, a lot of females, a lot of women, and I rely now on their women's intuition. I always listen to it because in the early days growing up, I didn't listen to women's intuition. Man, women are the best for that too. You know that? And that's yeah. I, I love surrounding myself with smart, intelligent, intelligent, go-getting women too because they can see things and sense things that oh, yeah. there's no way I ever possibly could. <laughs> it's incredible, man. I, I, uh, I'm just grateful for the women that – are surrounding me in my life. It's a yeah. the, the work for me that that actually keep things driving forward when uh, I'm just the man, right? <laughs> That's it. Yeah. And I say that in like a demeaning way, a self-depreciating way that uh, I'm just the man because I mean we can get on and we can have amazing conversations like this, but while we're doing things like this, it's like everybody around us is actually figuring out how to get the work's done, the work done. Sure. Amazing integrators and women can just it's a weird it's an interesting sense, man, a weird sense that it's like something that's lacking from a man but I really appreciate women that way. And they can multitask for sure. They can be ironing the clothes. Oh my gosh. This is an example and, 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 and dinner's on the stove and the kids are running around and they're thinking about what they got to do tomorrow and bedtime tonight and so that so they can multitask. And so we're very grateful for them. They're in business Absolutely. too, for sure. Because I mean, if you look at my calendar, it's like one thing at a time, right? <laughs> and then I, I look at the calendar of somebody else that's on my team, like my executive director who, who is juggling like 18 different things in the same hour. <laughs> and I'm like, how do, how do you even do that? It's like, well, she has to, to keep up with me. That's just (laughs) amazing. Man, this has been an amazing conversation. I really appreciate you. Yeah, I'm grateful to be here and be in service. This is great. DarrenJacklin.com. And uh, just follow Darren, friend him on Facebook, follow his social media pages because he's just an amazing guy to see what's going on in his life and somebody who you want to get around in those kinds of circles too. Darren, thank you, my friend. I'm grateful to be here. Thank you for allowing me to be here today. Hey, thanks for going all in with me today. Subscribe to the show so you get the new episodes when they come out. Rate and review the show if you're listening on iTunes. Follow me on social media at Mr. Rick Jordan. As always, you can find links and references to anything we've talked about in this episode in the show notes. And finally, share this episode with someone who you think might be able to level up their life by listening. I am Rick Jordan, and I approve this message. What's up with the Mega Manifester handle on Twitter? Is that a... So, yeah, so back in... So, interesting stories. So, back in the early 2000s, I was doing a lot of vision boards. And I was cutting pictures out of different things that I wanted to achieve. And back in, I think it was 2002, I was in Vancouver, Canada. I wasn't living in Vancouver, Canada. I was living about four hours east of Vancouver. uh, And I was coming up to take personal professional development workshops and seminars. And I drove by this big mansion one day on a rainy day out just outside of Vancouver. I took a disposable camera and I took a picture of this big mansion, this 14,000 square foot mansion. And just for fun, I put up on my vision board. I was dreaming big. Um, Six years later, I actually ended up moving into the exact house on the exact address for almost a year rent free to look after it for a family that actually had multiple homes around the world. And they had to, for insurance purposes, had to have somebody live on site because of insurance purposes. So I lived in the same house six, seven years later. And it was so funny because one day I had my vision boards in my storage locker and I was removing things around and all of a sudden this photo popped out 
I'm like, oh my gosh, this was on my vision board. So what happened was I got introduced to NBC TV in the San Francisco Bay Area out of San Jose, California, got interviewed back in 2007. And they wanted me to share this story on NBC TV about that. And then NBC TV coined me as the mega manifester. <laughs> you know, how to things. And then it went viral from there. And then when I was traveling around the world doing corporate training, people saw that and they're like, oh my gosh, you're the mega manifester. And so for probably about 10 years, everywhere I went, people knew me as the mega manifester, is that handle? That's fun. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> 